0: Coming up this evening an NTD Business. President Biden slapping sanctions on Russia, Germany, also halting a major pipeline. It's after Russian President Vladimir Putin sent troops into eastern Ukraine. Former President Trump's new social media app is getting so popular, you're gonna have to wait to get in. Now shares of the company behind the new app are soaring. And Beijing approves three new coal mines valued at $4 billion But experts agree China won't be able to meet its pledge of being carbon neutral by 2060. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. President Biden today announcing a series of sanctions against Russia for what he called the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Here's the president.
1: We're implementing full blocking sanctions on two large Russian financial institutions, VEB and their military bank. We're implementing comprehensive sanctions on Russian sovereign debt. That means we've cut off Russia's government from Western financing. It can no longer raise money from the West and cannot trade in its new debt on our markets or European markets either.
0: A day earlier, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered troops to go into two regions in eastern Ukraine. That was after he and the area's separatist leaders announced the regions were now independent from Ukraine. Western powers condemned the move and began to slap sanctions on certain Russian individuals. Germany announced it would halt plans for the Nord Stream 2 that's a key natural gas pipeline from Russia to Germany. More on that in just a moment. At home, Biden is facing bipartisan pressure to take more extensive actions against Russia following Putin's decision. However, a recent poll showed that a majority of Americans believe that sending troops to Ukraine is, quote, a bad idea, a slim minority believe it's a good one. As we mentioned, Germany is refusing to certify a pipeline built to bring natural gas to Europe from Russia. Here's the German chancellor.
2: I have asked the German
3: economy ministry today to withdraw the report on the analysis of energy supply guarantees from German regulator. It sounds technical, but it's the required procedure, so that there can be no certification of the pipeline now. Without this certification, Nord Stream 2 can't become operational.
0: The 750-mile pipeline was completed in September, but still needs final certification from German regulators before it can get up and running. Several countries have been against the pipeline since it was announced in 2015. The United States has long argued Nord Stream 2 poses security risks by making Europe more dependent on Russian gas. Germany's economy minister said Germany's gas supply would be secure even without Nord Stream 2 but he also told reporters that gas prices are likely to rise further in the short term. So what is the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? What does it do? And what does it mean for Europe and the United States? Anthony's Allison Lee has the details.
4: Nord Stream 2 is an undersea natural gas pipeline that connects Russia with Germany. Construction began in 2018 and was completed by late last year. It's expected to transport close to 4 trillion cubic feet of gas to the European Union per year. That's twice as much gas compared to an earlier undersea pipeline called Nord Stream 1. It's also significant because it bypasses older land pipelines that go through Ukraine and Poland, a NATO ally. Europe needs the pipeline because they haven't been producing as much gas domestically. And there's a growing need for affordable natural gas, which is cleaner than other fossil fuels. Europe currently imports roughly 35 percent of its natural gas from Russia without Nord Stream 2. Behind the project is Russian state-owned gas giant Gazprom. The company's profits support the Russian government budget. Former German Chancellor Angela Merkel approved the deal with Russia, but then-President Trump has been against it for making Europe more reliant on Russian energy. Ukraine and Poland are also against the deal. They feared that the pipeline would give Russia geopolitical leverage over Europe. Back in 2019, construction of the pipeline was suspended when Trump sanctioned the project's investors. It didn't resume until President Biden took office. Last July, the Biden administration signed a deal with Germany, allowing the pipeline to be completed. In return, Germany agreed to take action against Russia if Russia ever uses gas as a weapon or attacks Ukraine. But in Congress, both Republicans and Democrats have been against Nord Stream 2 for a long time. Analysts say Russia is unlikely to cut off gas supplies to Europe in retaliation because Russian gas giants and the European market are interdependent. Europe is now trying to diversify its gas supplies. Alison Lee, NTD News.
0: And oil prices inching closer to $100 a barrel today. Brent gained 1%, right now over $96 a barrel. WTI also up 1%. Stocks, though, ended lower. Investors may be on edge over developments in Ukraine. The Dow fell 483 points, one and four tenths of a percent. S&P 500 lost 44 points, also about one percent, and the Nasdaq lost 167 points, about one and two tenths of a percent today. In a bid to fight inflation, J.P. Morgan is predicting the Fed will raise interest rates nine times over the next year. That'll likely mean higher repayments on your credit card debt, mortgage debt, if you're on a variable rate, and possibly any other debt you may have. But it's not just you personally. Your state and local government will also likely face higher borrowing costs. So are your services at risk? Local authorities fund themselves through tax revenue and other income, but they also borrow from investors. Investors can buy municipal bonds which pay a yield every year until they mature and the investor gets their money back. But that yield is an expense for the municipality. And as the Fed raises rates, the financial burden for state and local governments will likely rise, too. So joining us to discuss is Jonathan Williams, Chief Economist with the American Legislative Exchange Council. Jonathan, great to see you again. Thanks for coming on.
5: Absolutely. Great to be back on with you, Paul.
0: Jonathan, in your assessment, are rising rates a threat to state and local governments?
5: Well, a that. I think they certainly are when you look at the municipal debt market. Um, certainly lots of different competing uh, areas for investors to go right now. And with rising interest rates, that's always traditionally a threat to uh, local debt, for instance. Um, however, there's a lot of advantages still that local governments have. And I, I think it also needs to be pointed out, uh, Paul, that you know while um, rising interest rates and inflation um, certainly have a downside for state and local governments, it, it compares nothing to the Downside they have for taxpayers across the country. We of course have their take-home pay continue to be eroded uh, by this raging inflation and big government monetary and fiscal policy that we're seeing here in Washington. Uh, but the state of municipal finance, while this is a challenge, uh, remains strong. I mean, right now, uh, state and local governments are washing cash. Uh, for probably in my 15 years career following this, Paul, this is the best that state and local government finance has looked. So certainly the default risk. Is down when it comes to local uh, municipal uh, governments and bonds that they've issued. And also, just a new story today uh, in the Wall Street Journal talking about record home values and assessments. And, of course, that means higher property tax collections yet again uh, coming to local governments across the country. So there's a lot of work to be done here. But the thing, of course, that we worry about the most is America's forgotten interest, uh, special interest group, the taxpayers of America, who are taking it on the chin right now uh, between the calls for tax increases here in Washington and then, of course, the hidden tax of inflation that is eroding people's spending power.
0: But that's a good point because of course prices go up you've got increased sales tax wages go up even they they're, they're going up far slower than inflation per, per government data we also have house prices going up as you alluded to with higher uh, property taxes but uh, like you mentioned the taxpayer is kind of on the hook for these things you know I think a lot of people aren't seeing their wages grow at all do you feel that there will be a breaking point where people will start to call for tax breaks rather than increase taxes
5: well certainly that's the case i mean while washington is mired in this discussion over uh, to raise taxes or not to raise taxes and of course we've seen gridlock which sometimes can be a good thing to stop big bad ideas like some of the big government ideas talked about right now in congress Um, while we're talking about that here in washington though the states are completely leading the way when it comes to the discussion around pro-growth and pro-taxpayer tax reductions and real tax relief, Uh, whether it's Mississippi, whose House of Representatives just voted overwhelmingly to repeal the state's personal income tax over the next 10 years, uh, or states across the country looking to become more competitive and cut income and sales and property taxes something that many of our alec members across the country are are looking at this issue of rising um, home values and rising assessments and looking at ways to get at this issue of rising property tax burdens through things like our truth in taxation uh, approach to property tax reform so while washington once again is stuck in this discussion and gridlock around tax increases the good news paul is that states are absolutely leading the way and they're working very hard to cut people's real tax burdens and
0: give real relief Jonathan Williams, American Legislative Exchange Council. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was great to join you. Female soccer players and the U.S. Soccer Federation have reached a $24 million equal pay settlement. For around six years, the players argued that they are unfairly paid less than their male counterparts. And the D.C. Quarter has more.
2: A big victory for 61 female soccer players. A group from the U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation have reached a $24 million settlement, ending a legal fight that began in 2019.
6: This settlement pertains to the issue of back pay. The women were claiming that they were owed as much as $66 million in back pay, Uh, Of course, the settlement of $24 million is a very significant amount.
2: Rishi Sagal is a partner at Romano Law. Sagal says the two sides seem happy with that amount. The battle began six years ago when five-star players accused U.S. soccer of gender wage discrimination. U.S. soccer immediately responded that men earn more because they bring in more money, but their stance brought public backlash.
7: Women's soccer um, pales in comparison in terms of its popularity. To men's soccer, and that's the reason economists say they traditionally have not been as well paid.
2: Matthew Vadim is a quartz reporter for the Epic Times. Vadim says the market should decide the amount of pay. It's unclear exactly how big the revenue gap is, but FIFA estimates over 1 billion people watched the 2019 Women's World Cup while $3.5 billion watched the 2018 men's tournament.
6: Even if they make more money, you can't just throw all the revenue at the men's soccer team.
2: Ron Zambrano is the employment chair at West Coast Employment Lawyers. Zambrano says the revenue should be distributed more evenly. Diana Patton is a former civil rights attorney. Patton says the settlement will have a wide impact.
4: This is going to transcend Not
2: just U.S. soccer, it is going to transcend into other sports, basketball, golf, you name it. And the deal isn't final. It only takes effect when the U.S. women's team and U.S. soccer agree to a new collective bargaining agreement. The current bargaining agreement expires on March 31st. Faye Quarter, NTD News.
0: And Beijing's top planning agency approved three different coal mining projects yesterday valued to nearly $4 billion total. But the move comes despite China pledging to peak CO2 emissions before 2030 and reach carbon neutrality before 2060. Anthony Don Ma reports.
3: Academics and analysts agree that China won't meet its carbon emissions pledge.
0: No, I think those goals are all just made-up
5: numbers meant to appease the larger international community. Um, in 2020, they put three times as much coal power online as the rest of the world did.
3: China's National Development and Reform Commission gave the go-ahead for two mines in Shanxi province and one in Inner Mongolia.
5: Unless they can come up with some kind of amazing technology to remove carbon from the atmosphere, they won't be carbon neutral as long as they're still
3: mining new coal. Coal is still the most efficient way for them to generate electricity. It's hugely important to their economy. One Chinese official said coal accounts for 57% of China's energy generation in 2020.
2: The Chinese government actually threatened coal producers with investigations um, if they weren't um, uh, having output at full capacity to, uh, to provide electricity. And this is going
3: on... The president the of the time. International Strategic Studies Association and author of the book The New Total War of the 21st Century explains what would happen if China reduced reliance on coal.
8: But you'd also have a, a massive reduction in, in the number of lives because people would die... Uh, in, particularly in winters, uh, if, if the, you can't get enough energy uh, to, uh, uh, to power homes and the like.
3: Coal is one of the least expensive ways to produce electricity in China. But if China stopped using it, electricity prices would go up, and that would affect its manufacturing sector.
5: If they were to go carbon neutral, their enormous manufacturing sector would shut down. Uh, Because they could not afford the same electricity rates that they currently pay, which means they would raise the price of goods, which means American markets would go elsewhere. Right? The reason they moved to China is because it's
3: cheap. Last year, China announced 43 new coal power plants. If approved and built, they will emit an estimated 165 million tons of CO2 a year.
5: A large coal fuel power plant. Really, they have a useful life that goes more than fifty years for some of these things. So it wouldn't be until twenty
7: seventy-two, which is long beyond their claim. You know, most of the countries that are really committing to net zero are all, uh, you know, democratic countries. Uh, You don't see a lot of authoritarian economies that are really committed to net zeros. The
8: bottom line is, they're going to keep using as much coal as they can get.
3: China's newly approved mines will produce close to 20 million tons of coal a year. Don Ma, NTD News.
0: And former President Trump's brand new social media app is reigning supreme on the iPhone app store. Named Truth Social is currently the most downloaded app for social networking, beating out even Facebook, WhatsApp and Telegram. Shares of the blank check company behind Truth Social were up over 10 percent today, after one and a half billion people viewed the app yesterday, only one day after its release, reportedly there are over 400,000 people still in the app's wait list because the app is getting more traffic than it can handle. And the world's largest music company is diving right into NFTs. So could this revolutionize the industry or will it flop? Entity's Phil Zou has the story.
6: Universal Music Group, the largest music company in the world, is entering the metaverse.
3: Artists are getting an opportunity to make direct relationships and sell
6: more money than they've probably ever made. It's a big push in the music industry at the moment saying, let's all get into NFTs. I think it's a great idea because uh, artists have their audience and the NFT uh, give them a new opportunity to sell something. UMG is partnering with an NFT platform to release non-fungible tokens and collections for his artists.
3: There is really little red tape between the transaction of a fan buying and investing in artists. So for an emerging artist, This is an opportunity to take a much larger
6: piece of the pie. But not everyone is an NFT believer. Cannot think of a single use case for NFTs that you can't do without them. They say NFTs can be used as concert tickets. Like, have any of these people been to a show in the last five years? Arguing we already use cryptography and QR codes for concert tickets. It's very hyped. It's been hyped in the last year. And everybody who sort of tries to present it to you, they go like, uh, this is the solution to all your problems. Independent musician Calvin West says NFTs cannot help musicians solve bigger issues. They don't offer any kind of discoverability for an artist, and I think that's the biggest um, biggest obstacle for small artists is to reach new listeners and nfts just don't do that west says nfts may work out for the big artists but he says it's not worth it for smaller and independent artists like himself phil zo ntd news quick break but still to come
0: at&t is shutting down its 3g network today we have what that means for you and your devices And a history buff makes purple dye using an ancient technique, and one of the ingredients might surprise you. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. AT&T's 3G network is shutting down today. Other carriers are following suit later this year. And it won't just impact older phones, but everyday devices you probably own. It's because a range of products require updates to continue working. That includes some home alarm systems, medical devices like detectors, and in-car crash notification and roadside assistance systems like OnStar. If left unaddressed, the stakes could be high in certain cases, like vehicle systems not being able to contact first responders after a crash, so to avoid a disruption of service businesses are urging customers to upgrade or replace some products and services before they drop connectivity. And astronomers are showing the world a view of space we have never seen before, a view that includes a recent disturbance on the sun. NASA says this is an unprecedented image of a giant solar eruption. It took place last Tuesday, stretched millions of miles into space. NASA and its European Space Agency's solar orbiter spacecraft captured the photo. The SA said it is the largest solar prominence ever observed in a single image that includes the entire sun. Solar prominence happens when a sun ejects a huge explosion of light, solar material and energy out into space this particular eruption, the flare traveled away from the earth. For a few weeks, beekeepers rent out truckloads of honeybees to farmers to pollinate crops. But due to beehive thefts, beekeepers are turning to technology to protect their precious colonies. The Andrew Thomas reports.
7: The past few weeks, more than 300 hives were reported stolen in the San Joaquin Valley loot that's worth tens of thousands of dollars.
1: Sadly, people have gotten more into theft because the business and the industry has grown so much and people think they can make a quick, easy buck by stealing hives and putting them into pollination.
7: Close to 400 more vanished from a field in Mendocino County, prompting the state's beekeeper association to offer a $10,000 reward. A few days later, authorities recovered the boxes of bees 20 miles away. One suspect was arrested.
1: Sadly, beekeepers are the other ones, are the only people stealing bees from other beekeepers. Um, You have to have specialized equipment. Um, It's not something that's a random act. It's very calculated.
7: So some beekeepers are starting to equip hive boxes with GPS-enabled sensors. Others are tagging their boxes with clear liquid only visible under UV light.
1: It's very difficult for professional beekeepers like us to keep our hives alive, and it's become increasingly difficult, which makes the theft even more uh, catastrophic to our industry. I mean, it takes us over a year to build a healthy hive. And so when it's stolen from us, it's not something we can easily replace.
7: The supply of bees has been dropping, and the cost to rent a hive of the essential pollinators has soared, jumping from about $40 per hive two decades ago to as much as $230 per hive this year, likely motivators for the thefts. The insects are essential for pollinating food crops and keeping agriculture healthy. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And one history enthusiast is making dye from sea snails. He's inspired by a school project he did decades ago on ancient Carthage and by the purple coloring that represented wealth in the classical world. Anthony's Andrew Thomas has more.
7: Mohammed Ghassan Nuwira processes murex snails using techniques first developed by the Phoenicians to produce a dye known as Tyrian purple that sells online for about $2,500 a gram. The color was so expensive that the ancient Romans restricted its use to the elite, whose purple fringed robes became the mark of the Mediterranean's most powerful dynasty.
8: Our ancestors used to extract dye from the murex snail this way. They break the shell of the snail, and then extract the gland. After that, they leave it to ferment in salt for three days, then put it in a tin container, add other substances, and leave it on the fire between seven and eight days until the dye dissolves in the water. They then try to dye wool or silk to evaluate the color. If they get the desired color, it's good. If not, they leave it on the fire until they get the color they want.
7: For the ancient Phoenicians, the trade in Tyrian Purple helped build a mercantile empire that established new colonies across the Mediterranean, such as Carthage. Many years after his school project, Nuira noticed a dead murex on the beach. Recalling his history classes, he decided to experiment with ways of making the dye.
8: This hobby started when I was 14 years old, in history class, studying the economy of the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, and the Carthaginians, and how they were famous for extracting purple dye from the murex. It was more expensive than gold. The idea stayed in my mind for 12 years. And in 2007, I found a dead murex on the beach in Carthage with this purple color coming out of it. From that time on, I started my adventure in reviving this dye.
7: Nuira spent 14 years working on how to produce the dye from nuts of murex he buys from a local fisherman. At first, people criticized his new hobby, complaining about the time and energy he devoted to it. But as he started to get results, people saw he was onto something. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Never give up. As the latest business updates for today. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For NTD Business, though, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.